Our text, our text this morning is from Acts 6, 1 through 7. You will find the passage on page 914 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. Now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give, you, give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Taman, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They set these before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gail. You may be seated. We continue in our series, Life Together. Last week talked about singing and corporate worship. Uh, this week we move, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to clearing my throat the whole time. That's just what the service is. And we'll talk about why we serve, why we serve. Let me pray for us and we'll look at Acts 6, 1 through 7. Lord, it has been a week of wrestling with this passage. I pray this morning that you would help me to be clear, that I would not be in the way, but Lord, that you would take the truth of this passage, which has never changed and is the same today, and you would apply it to our hearts, that you would call us into the service that you would have us be a part of. And Lord, I pray that today would be a day where we become excited to use our resources for the meeting of others' needs. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. As we begin this sermon, I think it's good to talk about what we mean by the word serve. So what is serving? Um, in, in the most generic definition we can provide, serving is using our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure to meet a need. That's what serving is, taking our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure to meet a need. Now, serving can go in two different directions. Serving can go in two different directions. We can serve ourselves. There's such a thing as being self-serving. When we use our time, our talent, and our treasure to meet our own needs, we're serving ourselves. That's what we're doing. Thankfully, we have Jesus as an example of the ultimate of serving others. So there's this passage in Mark 10. I believe it's in the other gospels as well. But uh, in Mark 9 and 10, the, the disciples, um, because they really get it, are dis arguing about who's the greatest, okay? They're arguing amongst themselves who's better, who should be at the right and the left hand of Jesus. And so they're jockeying for position, they're jockeying for who will be served by the others, and Jesus responds this way in Mark 10. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. And so the first answer to why we serve is Jesus has commanded us. This is the life of the disciple to serve, to give. And Jesus, as the ultimate example, what did he sacrificially give? He gave of his relationship with his father. He, he left heaven. He left eternity to be with us on earth. He shared his knowledge, his love. He shared his very life. Why? To meet our deepest need, salvation. Jesus served us. He took his resources. He sacrificially gave them to meet our needs. And so we have that. We could just say amen, Jesus told you to, but Acts 6, 1 through 7 actually gives us, in this story, we're given uh, another aspect, service and action and the consequences of service. And so we're going to look at Acts 6, 1 through 7 for the rest of the answer. So we have this book, the book of Acts, written by the physician Luke. Luke wrote two different books as, as volumes. Luke, the Gospel of Luke is volume one. This is volume two. Acts is a description of the expansion of the early church. That's what the book is. It's a history book. And in it, we can see God working with his people. And much like the Old Testament, we take these stories, not as prescriptive, but descriptive, and we can analyze them and pull out truth for ourselves from them. <clears throat> One of the things I came across this week as I was studying this passage is that Luke um, used a motif. A motif is a repeating theme. And the motif that he used in both Luke and Acts is the Exodus story. And so in Exodus, what happened? God, uh, of his own accord, by his grace, rescued the Israelites from bondage in Egypt and delivered them unto himself. You maybe, maybe you know where I'm going with this. In Acts, Luke and Acts, what did Jesus do? He rescued his people from the bondage of sin and delivered them unto himself. And so all along the way, there's these comparisons and contrasts made. And so as I was studying Acts 6 this week, I could not help, I couldn't get away from the idea that Acts 6 and Exodus 16 are very similar. In Exodus 16, what happens? The people are hungry and God rains manna from heaven. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at the, the two stories um, and compare them. Uh, in Acts, to start, just the context, Acts, uh, Exodus 16, what's happened? Up to this point, the Israelites had gone through all the, the, the plagues and they had been delivered. There's this moment where they are trapped against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's bearing down on them and they say, Moses, what have you done to us? We might as well just died where we were. And he says, you have but just to watch God save you. That's it. Just stand still, be still, and God will do the work of saving you. And he does. He parts the Red Sea. They make it through Pharaoh's army destroyed. Complete salvation on God's account. And so there they are in the wilderness walking towards the promised land. Here in Acts 6, what's happened? You have the apostles, we have all these new converts, but, but here they have the same situation. Their friend Jesus, their Messiah Jesus had just been killed on the cross. Where would they go from now? It'd have been better never to have followed him in the first place, but what did God do? It, it, just like he did in Exodus, where he moved outside the normal way that things should have gone, he raised Jesus from the dead. And so we have here on the other side of their salvation, the apostles and these new converts, God had 100% saved his people. And in both Exodus 16 and Acts 6, the people are hungry and they grumble for food. They're hungry, physically hungry, and they grumble for food. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at these two passages and draw out some things. The first truth that we can see from comparing the two passages is that there will always be needs around God's people. 
there will always be needs around God's people. There were needs in Exodus. They needed bread. There are needs here in Acts. The widows needed bread. There are needs now. We have needs. There will always be needs. Jesus in Matthew 26, in attachment to another lesson, says to the disciples, you will always have the poor among you. That's just one kind of need. But, but Jesus is saying there, there will always be needs around you. There will always be those who don't have some resource that we need, a basic need. And again, we're not just talking about bread. Every person lacks some kind of resource. A good, uh, the, the good uh, summary of all the resources we need are this. We have material needs. We have emotional needs. We have relational needs. We have cognitive needs. And we have spiritual needs. Five needs. Those five areas are, are what, in general, people, if they have a need, it's one of those five areas in their life. And no one, not, no, no one in this room, no one in this world is an island. No one is whole in and of themselves. Part of being broken, part of being depraved, part of understanding the human condition is knowing and admitting that we have needs, that we personally have a shortage of some resource in our life. And that everyone around us has a shortage of some resource in their life. Everyone has a need. Which is nice because it gives us plenty of opportunities to give of our time, our talent, our treasure sacrificially. I think it's important as we look at this idea that we will, there will always be needs that God in this lifetime before the return of Jesus does not intend for us not to need. <laughs> God intends for us to have needs. Our need, in fact, is one of the greatest tools that God uses in our spiritual journey. Uh, Paul, in 2 Corinthians, there's a lot of discussion about what he's talking about here, but all we know is that there was something in his life, a need that he had that he pleaded with God to remove. He called it a thorn in his side. Most people think it's some kind of physical ailment, some kind of pain or discomfort, but he pleaded with God to remove it. And God did not. This is what the response, he records this in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, God's response to him is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul comments to the Corinthians on what he feels about that, how he thinks about that. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this idea that, that there is always needs around us is not just a fact, it's something that's good for us. It's good for us to need. It's good for us to need. When we need, we know that we need something. It's, I mean, it's circular, but it's true. And when we need, and we are Christians, and we know that Jesus is the only source to meet those needs, guess what? We know that we need Jesus more and all those things and more that Paul mentioned. There will always be needs around us. And this idea of having needs so that we'll depend more on Jesus, this is a good thing because guess what? God cares about needs. That's the second truth we can see. God cares about needs. And we know that he cares about needs by how he deals with grumbling, both in Exodus and here. That's, that's another similarity between the passages. When they are hungry, they grumble. So here we go. Uh, in, in verse one, now in these days when the disciples were increasing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose. The Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews. 
against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this massive influx of new converts had created a, 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 a practical ministry need. They needed to feed people, feed widows, feed the people who could not feed themselves. And in uh, executing that work, the Greek-speaking Jews, the, the Greek-speaking widows had been overlooked. They weren't getting the food they needed. They weren't getting the food they needed. And so we have grumbling. This word complaint is the same word grumbling used in Exodus. And so the similar situation. Now, the, the difference is in Exodus, you can look every other paragraph and there's grumbling. What are the, what are the Israelites famous for? Where's our water? Where's our food? Where's our meat? Where? They just grumble, grumble, grumble. It's the same word used here. The word is not positive. The word is a sinful murmuring. And so the truth here, the truth is that grumbling is a sin. And when we grumble, when we complain, it works against God's intent for his church. Now, there's this beautiful thing that happens in both Exodus and Acts. God doesn't reject his people when they grumble. <laughs> that should be comforting to us. God doesn't kick them to the curb because they grumbled. No, he guides them out of their grumbling. He guides them out of their grumbling. Now, the beautiful thing about Acts is it ends here. Grumbling doesn't happen again after this. The response to the grumbling, the response, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit starts in verse 2 and it goes to the beginning of verse 5. Let me read that for us. The 12, these are the disciples, the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples, so everybody, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. Now, there's a difference here between these two stories, and I think this is the main difference why the grumbling ends here in Acts, but continues in Exodus. In Exodus, I'm trying to get two in the weeds here, um, that's a Moses pun. I didn't realize that for a second. Um, uh, uh, in Exodus, God gives a special delivery of the spirit to Moses. Moses has the spirit of God in him and on him so that he might lead the people. The people do not have the spirit. There's this there's a story later in Exodus where Moses is complaining to his father-in-law, I can't lead well. And so what happens is he calls these elders together and Moses shares the spirit with them. And so the, the spirit in Exodus is confined to leadership. But here in Acts and even now, because of Jesus' work, because of Jesus' promises, the spirit indwells all believers. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. They look to people in the crowd to help fulfill this need. And guess what? They are full of the spirit. Why? Because they believe in Jesus Christ. The indwelling of the spirit creates something here that the Israelites did not have. The indwelling of the spirit, spirit here creates unity. It's, it's prefabricated unity. The spirit cannot be divided and so we are unified in it. And in that unity, when there is a need, we don't have to grumble. We can find peaceful and useful solutions in those situations. And so we can know that God cares about needs because he's given us the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do? It draws us away from sinful grumbling and toward unified need meeting. God uses our service, 
God uses the needs around us as sanctification, not just in knowing our need for Jesus, but as we find solutions and, and meet and give away, God cares about needs and he uses his people to meet them. And so we can learn from this, from both Exodus and this passage here, is that there's no need for back-channel gossip or complaining amongst God's people. There's no need for it. There's no place for it. In all of our shortcomings, we all have needs. I love this passage, more recently realizing that it's the apostles who made a mistake. They made a mistake. They overlooked the Greek-speaking widows. And instead of, instead of it being a big deal, they went to the congregation to fulfill that gap. There will always be needs, and there's no need because of the spirit in us to grumble. We can draw attention to needs with kindness and love, knowing that God knows about them, that God has ordained them, and that God cares about them. I couldn't help but think about a famous verse that we Christians love to quote when people are going through hard times. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. But there's these verses that lead up to that moment that really capture this idea. Listen to the verses that we rarely quote leading up to that idea. This is from 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's, it's together. We don't need to grumble or be divided. We're together in the meeting of needs. God cares about needs. He's generously resourced us to meet them how he's given us spirit-empowered Christians to meet needs together. That's what we are. Which leads us to the third truth that we can see from these passages God has given us what we need to meet needs. <laughs> God's given us what we need to meet needs. And this is where we come to a striking difference of the two passages, how the need is met. So in Exodus, what happens? They grumble, they're hungry. And how does God meet their need? He rains bread from heaven, manna. Every morning they go collect it. And if they collect too much, it goes sour, all these rules. But God himself provides the thing they need in the wilderness. But here... How does God provide bread to his people? He provides it through his people. He provides it through his people. God, the inspired and unified, generous response of God's people through their time, their talent, and their treasure meets the needs of these widows. Look at the source of meeting the needs. Second part of verse five into verse six. So the whole gathering, what do they do? They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, and sorry, Pumbaa, but Timon made it, you did not. I've made that joke three other times, I think. It's a pretty good dad joke, I think. Um, Parmenius, Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch, and these they set before the apostles, they prayed and laid their hands on them. God didn't rain manna from heaven. He provided redeemed people to fill the gap to meet the need. And so as we look at our own congregation, as we look at Christianity as a whole, some of us here are more resourced in other areas than others. Some of us are much better at knowing how to fix things than other people. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Some of us have different knowledge, better knowledge, varied knowledge about different subjects that others do not. Some people have a life experience that some of us will never have, and you have wisdom from those experiences. 
Some of us have more relational capacity than other people. Some of you know better than even uh, uh, anyone here how to deliver just the right encouraging word at the right moment. That's a gift. Some people here have more material resources than others. And here's what's beautiful. God has given us one another. He's given us the whole congregation. He's given us the spirit that we might find solutions to needs together. I don't think that Acts 6 is any less miraculous than Exodus 16. Now, the, the, the miracle isn't sharing. It's not the miracle. What's the miracle? The miracle is not God raining bread from heaven. God, the miracle is changed hearts through Jesus Christ. That's the miracle that we get to see as a congregation together, meeting needs, empowered by the Spirit. That's not been a thing before Jesus Christ. So here we have this God-gathered group that can serve one another through Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that Luke was inspired by the Spirit because we get verse 7. It's not just about doing it because it makes us feel good. It's not just about doing it because God told us. Serving others in their need feeds directly into our ultimate calling, winning people to Christ. John Stott makes this point in his commentary on this passage. He says, there's no hint whatever that the apostles regarded social work as inferior to pastoral work or beneath their dignity. It was entirely a question of calling. They had no liberty to be distracted from their own priority tasks. Because what do they say? We can't give up praying and preaching to do this. We need help. And so by the apostles obeying Christ and committing to the word and prayer, by these, these men with all Greek names attending to the Greek widows and those who were already attending to the Hebrew widows, doing what they are called, by finding the right people to meet that need in Jesus Christ, what occurred? Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and the great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. By meeting needs, simple earthly needs, the gospel of Jesus Christ charged forward. Christian, as we observe and see needs and meet them, as we respond to them around us, the gospel goes forward. It's more significant than somebody filling their belly. It's a way that people know about Jesus Christ. And so what are we called to do? We're called to get to know people. How can we know their needs if we don't know them? We're called to meet the needs, even of those people in here. This is talking about the, the church of God, meeting one another's needs. And as we talk about Christ, as we do that thing, God does the, the miraculous growing, the inspiring, and the saving. We're called simply to participate by taking uh, stock of what we have, what time, what talent, what treasure do I have, and sharing it with others in need. That's what we're called to do. So a couple of practical things. What can we do to participate more in this, not only command and, and example set by Jesus Christ, but this thing that, that pushes the gospel forward? How can we participate in it? First, we should look around for other people's needs. We need to look around. It is so easy to take what we have and simply meet our own needs. It's the way of the world. It's the way of the world. What if we took what we have and we looked certainly to our family's needs, but to the needs of those around us? 
I think it's important that we pray for the eyes to see needs. Jesus, of course, he was perfect. One of the things he exemplified for his disciples was seeing, even in a crowd, that one person that had a need and meeting them right where they were at. Jesus was the son of God, and he did that very well. We need to pray for those same kinds of eyes. Who has need? Look for needs. Offer what we have to our family, our church, our neighbors in a sacrificial way. And what's beautiful about that is our spirit-empowered service as we do that thing by the power of the spirit together, we advance the gospel, which is what? Meeting true needs, real needs. I want to take just a side note this morning and say if you're here this morning and you do not follow Jesus Christ, I want to say that yes, your earthly needs are important. Everyone's earthly needs are important. But our life is but a whisper in eternity. And the thing that we need most is reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. And so we'd love to, if you have true needs, earthly needs, we we would love to help meet those as part of our calling. But listen, we all have this deepest true need and it is impossible to see it met outside of Jesus Christ. Our division from God, our sinfulness, can only be healed by the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So back to another practical application, church, it's not just about us having enough and sharing it with others. There's this deeper thing that we just ask non-Christians to to recognize that they have a need. We need to admit we have needs. Yes, look around. Yes, share. We need to need. All of us in some level has relational, material, emotional, mental, spiritual needs. We have them. If we don't have needs, we don't need Jesus. It can be so hard to admit our needs. In Western culture, we we live and die by pride and shame of meeting our own needs. So humility must play a role in that. And what does it say? Humble yourselves, cast your cares upon God. We can't even cast our cares without first realizing we have them. (laughs) We have them. And so we have to first admit and then ask God to meet them. And I wanna say this, if you have needs and you're part of our congregation, there's some ways that we have built into our ministry to meet them. First, life group. Life group is about living life together. That means sharing the good, sharing the bad, letting you know your needs, and resourcing God's people with one another, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, but also materially and, and, and cognitively. We have ordained and installed deacons here. Generally, in Presbyterian world and at our church, deacons are meant of connecting material needs. They are meant to, to focus on mercy and money and maintenance. That's their, that's their job description. So if you have a physical need, let our deacons know. They're, they're called to help you connect that. And we have our session, our elders, called to oversee spiritual and emotional needs. But listen, we have these needs, and God has given us what we need to meet them, one another. We meet needs together. We have needs. We always will. Everyone around us has needs. They always will. God cares about those needs. And 
We've been miraculously empowered, church, to meet those true needs in a unified response, earthly and spiritual, eternal needs. And so why do we serve? We certainly serve because Jesus has told us that's what we ought to do, but we serve to advance the gospel. Why would we even consider giving away our resources? Because it makes a difference in eternity. It echoes. And as we give of ourselves to others, we will see people come to know the only one who could meet their true need, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul declares that we're living participants in the gospel and that when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I think it's interesting that Jesus meeting our needs and the representation of that at the Lord's Supper is also something that that pushes the gospel forward. So as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we can't help but know that we're needy. You don't come and eat unless you have a need. You don't participate and eat the bread and drink the cup unless you know that you have a need that you personally cannot meet and only Jesus can meet it. And how does Jesus meet our need? How does he provide a free meal like we talked about in Isaiah 55 in our call to worship? Jesus sacrificially gave his time, eternity. He paused eternity to come and be with us, to live 33 slow human years. He gave of his talent. He taught us. He reprimanded us. He corrects us. He convicts us. He teaches us his love. Sacrificially, he gave his physical body, he broke it. He shed his blood. Why? So that we might participate in his treasure. We're told that through the sacrifice of Jesus, he holds an inheritance for us guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus shares eternity in, our etern- in his eternal her- inheritance with us. So listen, of all the times To admit you're needy, this is it. (laughs) Come and eat the Lord's Supper. If you believe that you are that needy sinner, that you've professed that Jesus Christ is the only way to meet that need, you've been baptized, you are invited to come and eat. It's free, it's real, it meets our needs. It sustains us. So come with enthusiasm Come with joy knowing that, yeah, you're needy, but you have the one who meets those needs. The Bible also warns, again in 1 Corinthians 11, that whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner, that that is uh, something that they, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so this morning, I ask that we observe our own hearts. If we do not believe that Jesus is the only one that can meet our needs, if we don't believe that we have a need, We have a sin in our life we refuse to confess. Those are reasons that we should not participate. So we're gonna do this morning, take a few moments. We did not have a confession of sin earlier. Let's take a few moments. Let's sit before God in silence. Let's confess our sins, accept his forgiveness and prepare our hearts to receive his provision. I'll gather us back together with a prayer of blessing in a moment.
Father in heaven, thank you for the plan you set in motion before time in which you served sinners like us. Jesus did not come to rule and reign and be served. He came to serve and to give everything, everything in his life as a ransom for many. That kind of service is not possible from a human being like me, like anyone here. So the fact that we as a church desire to meet needs, we, we give that credit to you and your spirit. I thank you that you have given us each other. You've given us varied people, varied skills, varied resources, varied schedules, varied talents, that we might be a place that not only meets one another's needs, but the needs of this world, so that the world would know who Jesus is. And so this morning, as we eat the Lord's Supper, we talk about his broken body, symbolized by this bread. We talk about his shed blood, symbolized by this juice and this wine. And we talk about the reality that we needed that sacrifice in order to be reconciled to God, our Father. To live the life we were designed to live in relationship with our creator. We needed the bloody, brutal sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We needed it. And thankfully, Father, you have graciously provided it. And so we come this morning in sorrow and in joy. Sorrow over our sin that required that sacrifice, but joy and that you willingly, graciously gave it out of love and mercy for us. And so as we eat this morning, as we drink this morning, may we remember and may we praise your name. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.